You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Tuesday, September 13th. It's been one year since El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Last September 2021, the Central American nation made headlines for forging its own path as the first in the world to make the cryptocurrency an official part of its economy. According to tweets and statements from President Nayib Bukele, the government has bought more than 2,000 bitcoins so far. So, what's the problem? Well, many of those purchases were at or near market highs. It was September 2021, after all. Those price declines since mean that, at least on paper, El Salvador has lost more than half the value of its purchases so far. And surveys of both consumers and businesses show that most people in the country just aren't using Bitcoin. Nonetheless, President Bukele and government officials are adamant that the nation's strategy has expanded financial services to a larger segment of the population and encouraged tourism. So what's the real story of Bitcoin in El Salvador? I'm joined now by Bloomberg reporter Mike McDonald for more. Are those birds? They are. So I have, um, I have. There's like a flock of parakeets that live outside my apartment, and they're they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay. Yeah. One of the most interesting countries in Central America, if you're a person who is even passingly interested in Bitcoin, has got to be El Salvador. What's been going on in El Salvador over the past 12 months? Yeah, so um, a year ago, El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender alongside the dollar. El Salvador is a dollarized economy. It has been for 20 years. And last year they announced and, and they started accepting Bitcoin as official currency. So it's a currency that you can use just like you would a dollar, just like you would any other currency to pay for goods and services and buy goods and services in the country. So businesses by law are required to accept it unless they're technologically unable to. But it became legal tender in El Salvador about a year ago. You know, when the country adopted it, it was September 2021. And, El- and Bitcoin was really near record highs. It was around 60, that was trading around $60,000 per token at that time. So there was this sort of euphoria across the country. Everybody was downloading the government's Bitcoin wallet, which the government launched a year ago. They were getting into Bitcoin. They were trading Bitcoin on their phones. Uh, The 
government wallet really make, makes it easy to switch between dollars and Bitcoin. So you saw all these new sort of street day traders in El Salvador that were that were trading between Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar on their phone. They were rushing to the ATMs to convert their Bitcoins to dollars and take out cash at these Bitcoin ATMs around the country. At the beginning, there was sort of this euphoria about Bitcoin in the country, and everybody was really excited to see what would happen. I mean, at the time, it was really the biggest test for Bitcoin as a currency in the world. This was the first country to ever do this. So everybody was really watching to see how the rollout went and really how this digital token could be used as, as an official currency. What was the argument that El Salvador was making for why they were doing this? There were a couple. Since it's a dollarized economy, they don't really control their own currency. They really rely on the Fed for monetary policy. I mean, they, they really don't have any sort of central banking control of their own currency. One argument was they shifted to Bitcoin so that they could shift away from relying on the Federal Reserve and, and U.S. dollar monetary policy. Another argument was, you know, El Salvador is a country that has that receives a large amount of remittances every year. There are a lot of El Salvadorians in the United States that work and live and send back tons of money every year. It's something like 20% of GDP in El Salvador. And they usually use Western Union or MoneyGram or one of these traditional money transfer services to send those remittances back to El Salvador. And those services charge fees for sending those uh, remittances. And, you know, depending on what sort of service you choose, the money can take three, maybe five business days to get there. So one argument was, you know, by adopting Bitcoin, this would make it easier for Salvadorians living in Los Angeles or Texas or New York or wherever. It would make it cheaper and faster to sort of send the money from one person's wallet in, in the United States to another person's wallet in El Salvador. So, you know, one of the other main arguments was this would save time and money on, on remittances, which is really a pillar for the economy in El Salvador. And... Let's talk about remittances specifically, because, you know, 20 percent of GDP is not a small amount of money going back. Having used services like MoneyGram, Western Union to send money to the Caribbean where I'm from, it's not only that it can be slow, it can also be really expensive. And so if I remember correctly, like one of the arguments was, well, this isn't only going to be faster, it's also going to be cheaper and more efficient. The thing is, Bitcoin volatility is, you know, feature, bug, however you think about it, like there can be wild swings in the currency. How was the plan to sort of manage the fact that by the time you start a transaction, by the time that transaction gets to the other person, the price might have changed by 15 or 20 percent? You know, most of the Salvadorans that are living and working in the United States are probably not starting off with Bitcoin. They probably have dollars that they've made at their jobs in the U.S., and they have to go to an exchange and buy the Bitcoin and then get a wallet and then transfer the money to the wallet and then transfer it to their family members in El Salvador. And, you know, from what we've seen over the past 12 months, people really aren't spending Bitcoin in El Salvador. So then the, their family member or their friend in El Salvador would probably convert it to U.S. dollars. And there's a lot of price fluctuation that can happen in that time frame. There are also a lot of fees associated with that whole long process. So it's not even always that much cheaper. I mean, the you know, the fees for Bitcoin kind of vary for sending it based on, you know, usage and, and a bunch of other factors. So, it, you know, sometimes it is cheaper, sometimes it's not. But, you know, it hasn't really translated into a large amount of remittances being sent via Bitcoin. Uh, you know, the central bank in El Salvador said a couple months ago that it's only about 2%, a little less than 2% of remittances that have come via digital wallets. So most people still are using 
the traditional services like MoneyGram and Western Union. And these are companies, too, that have also come up with their own digital wallets, so to speak, to try and compete with, you know, Bitcoin and, and stablecoins and some of these other cryptocurrencies. You know, they're trying to make it cheaper and faster with their own versions of, of digital wallets to make it easier for customers on both ends. So, you know, we haven't really seen a sort of mass movement from traditional money services to Bitcoin for transferring remittances from the U.S. to El Salvador. You've reported over the course of the past 12 months on the fact that, you know, Bukele is a historically popular leader in the country. He controls not just sentiment, but like functionally has a lot of influence and exerts a lot of control over other arms of government and, of course, the central bank. However, the Bitcoin thing doesn't poll well for him, right? Like kind of around the time that this was rolling out, there were even protests. Some of them turned a little bit violent. What explains the disconnect between this historically popular leader and this historically unpopular policy? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's popular for a lot of reasons. And Bitcoin is is kind of the one thorn in his side. I mean, it's the one thing that the opposition parties in El Salvador have really latched onto because it's sort of the one thing that people are really upset about him with. You know, he's popular. He's cracked down on gangs recently. He's built a couple new hospitals. He's improved education. He has some of these money transfer services from the government to the, you know, very, the poorest households in El Salvador. So, so those are some of the reasons why he's he's so popular. With Bitcoin, you know, it was a big change really fast. He announced this in June of 2021 with the law taking effect in September 2021. So it was really only three months. It's, you know, shifting from the U.S. dollar, uh, you know, sort of a physical hard fiat currency to a digital dollar in a country where a lot of people outside the capital city don't have smartphones or aren't familiar with the technology or don't really understand cryptocurrencies. A lot of homes may not even have access to Internet. A lot of businesses outside the capital city don't have access to Internet. So so making transactions in a digital currency is scary. The very fast pace at which this happened, too, I think spooked a lot of people. I think once it rolled out, you know, at the very beginning, the price of Bitcoin was was very high. It was in the 50,000 50, range in September 2021. And then it quickly went up to 60,000. I think it was above 60,000 for a while. And for the first couple months, there was this excitement and people thought, oh, well, my money's just always going to go up. And then ever since then, it's gone down. I mean, now, you know, we're talking about Bitcoin has been at 20,000 for, for months now. And so I think, you know, a lot of that early excitement really fizzled out. People who started using Bitcoin last year at 50,000 and it went up to 60,000 and now it's down to 20,000. I think they, you know, they opened their Chivo app, which is the government's digital wallet, and look at their money and like, oh, well, I'm losing money on this. This is really silly. The volatility has really scared people away. If there is sort of one saving grace, uh, you know, not a lot of people in El Salvador, it's not like people poured their life savings into Bitcoin. Because it, there wasn't this mass adoption, it really saved the economy as a whole from, a, from this crypto winter and this bear market that we're in. But it, it's also sort of dampened sentiment for using it as an actual currency because of the volatility. Well, to your point about the absence of enthusiasm, there's this brilliant quote that you have in your story from Laura Andrade, who's the director of you know one of the universities there and who did a poll that sought to find out if people were actually using Bitcoin. And the quote is, if you go to any market in El Salvador, you're more likely to receive an insult than be able to purchase something in Bitcoin, which, you know, feels feels pretty telling of, of the way things are. 
There is one area that by any metric, though, does look like there's been some success, and that's sort of foreign investment and tourism. But what are some of the specifics that you've seen that are actually making a difference in the country? Yeah, there have been a lot of Bitcoiners that have visited the country over the past year. There's a lot of curiosity to see how this works. El Salvador is on pace this year to actually surpass pre-pandemic levels of tourist visits. I think they might have already done it already, and we're only in September now. There is a lot of curiosity. There have been a couple Bitcoin events that have been held in El Salvador over the past year. The Latin America Bitcoin conference was one. They've had a couple other blockchain events as well. They're going to have another one this November. Bitcoin Beach has attracted a lot of people. There's this Bitcoin Beach is sort of the pilot program where this all started. You know, there there have been several companies too, some and and some pretty prominent crypto companies like Bitfinex, which is a crypto exchange which is preparing to open up an office there. I spoke with some other uh, crypto companies, uh, a couple of different exchanges and a couple of different uh, banking and lending uh, crypto platforms, and they've seen a large uptick of users in El Salvador over the past year. So for them, it's been good for business. So, you know, there is this sort of curiosity to see how things are going in El Salvador. And, and there are members of the crypto community from from legitimate large crypto companies that are, are setting up shop in El Salvador. And, and there is this bet on the part of the government where they're kind of like, well, let's see if we can attract this industry here and be sort of a regional hub for this highly technological industry for Latin America. So that, so there is there's a little bit of that, a little bit of that and, and you are seeing evidence of it. I mean, you, you can see it in the numbers. Up next, more from Bloomberg reporter Mike McDonald on El Salvador's economic future as an ardent supporter of crypto. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So we've got a, let's say, mostly indifferent population. We've got a mostly enthusiastic kind of foreign investor and tourist base. There is one constituency that I would describe as actively hostile to El Salvador's Bitcoin experiments. And that's like the multinational organizations, the IMFs, the World Banks. It's also like the rating agencies. What's been going on in that front? Before El Salvador announced that they were going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. They were negotiating a program with the International Monetary Fund. The government has really high debt levels and they have a couple really big bond payments coming up that they're going to have to pay to to bondholders. So they were negotiating this $1.3 billion program with the International Monetary Fund, essentially a loan. And then in exchange for that, they would adopt policies, you know, more fiscally responsible policies to sort of narrow their fiscal deficit and bring debt levels down. But the IMF has really pushed back against this experiment, and we haven't seen that program actually happen yet. I mean, they've been negotiating this now for maybe two years. And this experiment really has cost the country a program, a $1.3 billion program with the International Monetary Fund. You know, the World Bank has held off on some lending because of this. I think they even rejected a request from El Salvador to help with the rollout uh, initially, I think they've sort of backed off on that. And I think they did provide some assistance eventually. But there has been this pushback from the IMF 
a little bit from the World Bank and from the from bondholders as well. I mean, um, you've you've seen Moody's publish several pieces warning of the dangers of the volatility of Bitcoin. The government has been buying Bitcoin and they've lost a lot of money so far on those purchases. I think they have unrealized losses of about $60 million on roughly $100 million in Bitcoin purchases. So it has hurt public finances, and that's something that the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and, and these ratings agencies, especially Moody's, have really brought to light. Given this, what you could sort of fairly describe as a mixed environment <laughs> for this, you know, great experiment, What's next for Bukele? He has shifted gears. Ever since March, there was a there was a series of killings in March, gang-related killings in El Salvador in March. And ever since then, the government's focus has been on finding gangsters, arresting them, and putting them in jail. I think they've arrested like 40,000 gangsters since March, um, or alleged gangsters, I should say, because there's some pushback as to whether or not some of these people are, are innocent or not. You know, the laser eyes are gone from his Twitter profile. I think he took them down a month or two ago. So there has been a bit of a shift in focus in terms of what the government is focusing on. He still is meeting with with representatives from the cryptocurrency community. He met with the CEO of Bank to the Future, which is a, a, a cryptocurrency company, um, a couple weeks ago. You know, the CEO of Binance was there, I want to say, in May, June or some sometime in the past few months. So he is sort of keeping this up this interest in the cryptocurrency community. But, you know, I think the core focus of the government has, has really shifted that, you know, there are plans still to issue a blockchain bond, uh, which would be like a Bitcoin-backed bond. That's been delayed. Uh, you know, they had initially announced that they were going to issue it in March. We're now in September, and there's talk that maybe they'll do it at the end of the year. But, you know, this is a government that that moves their deadlines quite frequently. So, you know, it, it may happen by the end of the year. It may not. They still haven't presented a digital securities law, which is the legislation they need to really underpin this this blockchain bond issuance. Mike, as a closing question, you know, you're one of the people that has actually you've gone to El Salvador a bunch of different times. You have tried to navigate the country just by using Bitcoin. What about that system would have to get better for it to really be practical rather than gimmicky? You know, I think speed is is a big one. When you land there, it's hard to find places that will actually accept it. You know, it's a minority of businesses that will accept Bitcoin. So finding a place that will actually accept your Bitcoin in exchange for services or, or goods or whatever is, is a bit of a challenge. There are some that will that will accept it. And I found that, you know, the, at those places that do accept it, there's a lot of bugs in the system. The transactions from my wallet to their wallet aren't always smooth. You know, they get blocked or sometimes there's no Internet service and you're sort of standing there waiting for Internet service to come back. I had a transaction at one of my hotels that took, I think, overnight to process. I paid for my room. Um, it was like, a, I don't know, a Wednesday or something like that. And then I had to come back like the following Thursday evening to see if the payment actually went through. And so we were all sort of like waiting to see, you know, would this work? Would it not work? There are a lot of problems like that where it's just it's slow. I mean, it's it's slow and it's clunky. And it's, it's still not faster than, at least not for the consumer anyway, than me just whipping out a credit card and swiping it and, and, and going about my way. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, Mike, and always appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Stacey. Appreciate it. You can find more of Mike McDonald's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter. He's at MD McDonald. That's M-D-M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, 
It's Merge Week, and my colleagues David Pan, Olga Karif, and Dave Litka hosted a Twitter Spaces dedicated to the coming changes to the Ethereum blockchain. You'll hear highlights from their conversation. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.